Be Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Welcome to another episode of our Be Fabulous podcast. We are in the 2021 series where we're looking at the fabulous person's guide to the future of work in 2025. So far, we've covered a number of different themes. Post-COVID, what's going to rebound? What's going to stick? We've also looked at emotional Kevlar and what is the key to success where you can adjust to whatever happens to you. We looked at the importance of adaptability and reskilling and what it means to functional career paths, which will actually rest in peace as career paths become more overlapping. And we've discussed group unity and the conversations that executives weren't trained for as they think about how do you create group unity when uh, the world is becoming more and more polarized. And today, Vips and I are going to discuss the socially conscious company and how that is becoming more mainstream. So as we think about this, It's no longer good enough to be a company that purely makes money. Society is expecting business to be socially conscious. And what that means is there's a blurring of businesses and their drive for economic value to also do something good in the world. And why is that? Individuals want to work for a purpose-driven company. Take Warby Parker, for instance. You know, they give back for every pair of glasses that uh, you purchase. And there are all these engagement tools that we never had before, like Twitter and Glassdoor and everything that we feel is out there on the web. So businesses can't hide anymore. So Vips, let's take a step back. Why is this happening? Well, I have to say, Vicky, I mean, it's, it's you're in your full BBC voice today. Uh, that was, that was, uh, I was like, wow, this is a public service announcement. Where you know, what, what, what happened to fun-loving crazy Vicky? I was like, this is like, this is like the BBC Vicky. Um, uh, the BBC Vicky with a South African accent. Uh, that's true. Well, I don't, know, I don't know what your accent is these days. I think it's just a very international, internationally uh, clear accent. But yeah, just, uh, sorry, I just had to comment on, uh, you called them... Um, I think, what did you call them? Engagement tools when you were talking about Glassdoor and Twitter? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I just call them ranting tools. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> well, they, they, they do amplify the noise. There's no question about it. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I just, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't resist it. Um, yeah, and I've completely forgotten. Well, welcome back. I know it's been a while since we've done the last one. I can't remember what question you asked me to kick us off. <laughs> So, <laughs> I was well, just so impressed that you remembered all the other episodes we've done so far that my, my you know, I wasn't really functioning. <laughs> I was blown away. Well, I always love to impress you, Vips. So. Oh, and you always do. <laughs> okay, so what I was thinking about is as we think about purpose-driven companies and the amplification of these engagement tools, if we take a step back and we think about why this is happening, what are your views? <sighs> It's like, this is like the, the meaning of life type of conversation. Good grief. Uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'll do it through the lens of what I'm seeing with, with clients I work with and the kind of environment that I'm in. And uh, I, I, to me, a couple of things come through, particularly in the, against the backdrop of the, of the COVID 18 months and counting, um, plus the general... Uh, I'm just going to call it economic and social unrest that seems to have followed it. And I think 
I, I think the way I look at it, a couple of things I see a lot. Well, firstly is that, you know, just most business leaders are just not equipped to handle those sorts of conversations. That's not, that's not really what they, if you think about the classical training of most business leaders, you know, I'm not, I don't, that's, that's not, it's not to be disparaging, but generally you, you become a business leader to be a good steward of your business and deliver value to your shareholders, make money. Normally metrics are associated with some version of profit, revenue, mm-hmm. EBITDA. And yes, there are, there are usually, you know, increasingly we are seeing board level commitments, suggestions, uh, advocacy for, um, you know, commitments to whether it be equality or whether it be uh, environment or, you know, a number of sort of mega issues, if you like. Um, but I, I think generally speaking, I mean, most business leaders, at least the ones I come across, they don't, they didn't get into business because they wanted to deal with complex social, social problems. But at the same time, you've got generation and employees. Just, it's just not inspiring to work for a company that just, you know, looks to continue making money. It's like, I, I see, I see leaders all the time doing these, you know, whatever you call them, AMAs. Ask me anything. Town halls, um, all hands meetings, depending on which country you're in, and ultimately they normally start with some kind of. Here's how our numbers are doing, and our numbers are doing okay. Yeah, and, and you know what? Update. It's important because if a business wasn't doing well, you'd have bigger things to worry about. Um, the, yeah, right. Like but against the backdrop of 10, 12, 14 years of economic growth, particularly in, this, in, the, in the areas we're in. I mean, we're predominantly working with information workers, technology workers, you know, maybe marketing and branding and experience workers. And quite frankly, they're spoiled. <laughs> they've never had it so good. I mean, in, in so far, in, in a macro sense, they've never had it so good. Yeah. Well, I was reading a stat recently that the world economy has grown by 45 times over the last 50 years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just think about that. Yeah. You know, I mean, and obviously we're in more, one of the more privileged countries right now in the U.S. That that takes a bigger slice of that, but that's that's a that's a that's a pretty big big sure. upswing for a lot of people where where basic needs are not the main the main driver anymore. You know, they're getting into more of the 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 need for belonging and right, self esteem right, and self actualization. Right. So, what, so the way I would express that is, you know. We keep coming back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs because it's so universal. You know, we have, we have a, particularly in our world, right? I want to be careful that we, we, we equate that to the, to the, you know, this might not be true for truck drivers. This might not be true for, for, for other types of non-information worker, if you like. And, but what we're seeing is people are getting to, getting through the first couple of levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs so much earlier in their lives and in their careers. So, so the desire for more meaning um, is kind of like, you know, it's like a quarter life crisis or even a decade life crisis you have to have now rather than, you know, somewhere through half your yeah. life. So, so what that does is it changes the calculus for what people want from their employers, particularly earlier on in their careers. Yeah. And the, num- and the, number, the number they say is $75,000. When you start earning above that, then right. you want more than just the paycheck. Right. Although I guess that depends if you're living in New York or LA or, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the, the basic principle is, you know, there is a point after which being part of something or doing something that's meaningful to you is more important than the, the next marginal dollar. Um, 
And, and I, think, I think that's a big part of what we're seeing, which is, you know, in, in, in the one hand, you've got, you've got, it's, I think companies, I mean, I, my view, and it's maybe a little bit cynical, I've been known to be cynical in the past, is businesses don't do it out of the goodness of their heart. They do it because they've got no choice, because they need, they need the talent and they need the people to want to be inside their companies. They're struggling with high levels of attrition, particularly in high skill areas. And so anything that creates more of a pull starts becoming a competitive advantage from a, from a, from a talent market point of view. And my view, honestly, truthfully, and that's very cynical, is I think that drives more of it than, than, than a sort of a, a genuine desire to want to improve a mission on something. I think we see it much more driven by, you know, market positioning for a particular product to serve a, to serve a group that maybe hasn't been served before or to, 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 to use a particular narrative as a way of carving up an audience and a market segment for, you know, to sell them more or to, to activate demand in a different way, or it's because they need it for the talent. However you look at it, um, it, it I, I think that, that really drives this, you know, businesses are forced to react. And if you don't react, you just don't get, you just don't get the best or even the second best talent. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I, you know, I agree with sadly, I mean, I'm usually the glass half full person. Oh, you're going to go glass half empty. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I sadly do agree with you that, that uh, you know, as you think about these bigger socially conscious issues or even happiness at work or any of that, there's usually a reason other than just because it's the right thing to do. And even those that start off as purpose-driven organizations, they find... They morph. They morph because the business drivers are so important and they're so all, so all-consuming. It's hard to have any energy left for those big important topics because you're trying to stay alive day to day. Well, I mean, let's, let's, I mean, let's bring it back to our own, you know, I guess our own formative years in, in our previous company, Quedis, right? I mean, we, you know, in the early years, I know you, I think you were year one, year one? Yeah, year yeah one. six months. We 007, weren't you, if I remember correctly? I was 007. <laughs> you were 007. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, Pete Cottrell was 006. 006. Maybe he's listening in Tallahassee if he's still there. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but... Yeah, you know, if you think about how we were when we were that small unit, I mean, we were very, we were very tight. We were very, we were, well, it certainly felt like we were very purposeful about what we were doing and what we weren't, what we weren't doing. Even though at the end of the day, we were, we were consulting to technology leaders. It still felt like there was a lot more purpose behind the community that we were trying to build, the value system that we were trying to build. Um, Absolutely. The good that we were trying to do in the world, the graduates we were trying to help along the way, a whole bunch of stuff. It was really addictive. It was addictive. And it was, uh, but but then, you know, we got to, you know, a couple of hundred people and, you know, suddenly it becomes more important to feed the machine. And now you start worrying about things like, do we have enough work? And have we sold enough work? And is there enough to be able to, for everyone to pay their mortgages and their, you know, their bills and their, you know, school fees if they had kids or whatever. And so, you know, so the economic responsibility starts kind of... Shifting. Uh, I don't know, taking over maybe. Yeah. yeah. Or it becomes, you know, I don't know, if it's like a solar eclipse, it just kind of eclipses more of the sun. Mm. And, and it's, not, it's not wrong, it's necessary, but it does, it does well, it dilute consumes, a sense it consumes, of purpose. Yeah, it consumes all your energy. So there's, there's not much left to spend on the thing that you might care about to start with. But, but think about that, right? It's also why we had to pay people so much more as years gone went, went, went on, right? Like, I mean, there's a competitive advantage aspect to it, which is, you know, if, I'm, if I join a company that's already been around and it's reasonably stable, then, 
then I kind of, I kind of, I'm joining because of the stability that represents. My expectations are higher, all those sorts of things. Whereas, you know, I think, I think so there, there is such a, I think this is something that startups in the US feel a lot. You know, they, they, they get through that startup phase and, you know, they're moving heaven and earth and everyone's in it and you've got so much energy being focused on the product or the service or the customer or the experience or whatever it is. And people may pay, be paid a little less. Because, they may get paid a little less, but they've always got, the promise, they've got yeah. the promise of share options, right? Which The promise and they're excited to be building something. And they're excited to be building something. And, and then, then they reach a certain stage when they're not and so Normally excited. what happens is they get more funding, right? And yeah. then you get, you get, you know, even more shareholder or VC demands. Um, or they, they float or they, you know, they, they, something happens which changes the composition of the, of the motivations of the core of the business. And then it starts feeling more sterile and it just starts feeling more, more financial in nature. And so then what's going to happen then is like, well, screw that. If that's, where I'm, if that's what it's going to be like, I want to get paid a shit ton of money, right? So then, then, you know, we all then fall into that game. Or at least get paid fairly compared to... Well, I mean, but fairly's, a, fairly's always going to be a... Um, a personal judgment yeah but you're relatively if you've joined a startup for yeah you know i'm going to give a lot because i want to build something then after a while it gets taxing where you're like yeah and it's a killer right because then you're also thinking but i gave so much and i didn't get enough return and now i'm being asked to do it again and why should i do it again i already feel like i've been screwed over and i there's so much toxicity that's part of that yeah. um that that you know and you feel like you've given your soul to it yeah so, but, but my point is, I think this is happening not just in startup land. I think this is happening everywhere. I think, Agreed. you know, whether it's, you know, your gigantic AT&T or whether it's your, you know, your retail company. I, I think the real question is how much of it's real versus how much of it is marketing. And by marketing, I mean for a customer benefit or for an employee benefit. Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's a interesting, it's an interesting challenge. But what I do know is that, or at least my hypothesis is that this is not going to change, at least mm-hmm. not in our working lifetimes. And why is that, Phipps? Well, what do you think? Well, I think we live in this polarized world um, that has, has us at the extremes, um, and many of us actually in the middle, and we aren't actually given support in the middle. And so there is nothing that supports us for a more moderate perspective right now whether you're in the us whether you're in a european country everybody seems to be a little polarized right now and um business leaders are having to pick up the slack of of the middle of the middle ground of of where most people are which is middle left middle right and and want to be having both the political conversation the social conversation and make good money and the polarized nature of the country and the polarized nature of the world means that because leaders are in those extremes, then there is this void, this leadership void. And so business leaders have to step in because that's what talent is demanding because you're not getting it anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I 100% agree. You know, the way, I, the way I always think about that is, you know, this takes me back to, <laughs> this takes me back to studying at college. Uh, you know, um, one of my politics professors back in back in London the LSE used to you know when when you did political history one of the things that was kind of an idea that was always um shared was and this is 
you, know, you can apply this at a global level, you can apply this at a democracy level, you can apply this at a nation level. Is you know, they're just periods in history where you have political consensus, mm-hmm. and then you have periods of political polarization. So you know, put put simply, you know, the the, the periods between the second between the first world war and the second world war were like periods of political consensus, and mm-hmm. then you had these political polarizations which resulted in wars and we've just been in basically a you know post second world war you know really a political consensus at least in the western economies in the western world until r- relatively recently and by relatively recently i mean the last 15 15 years or so and what you've started seeing is a gradual shift to polarization and i think we're we're probably in well we are no question where we're living in a in in probably a more polar politically polarized um state uh, I don't mean state as a country. I mean state with a little s. Um, than we've ever, than we, than well, than I remember in my lifetime, and and I think you know the, the problem with that, as you suggested, was what it does is it pushes it pushes your political leaders and your political leadership to the edges. Now, you know, the, the best image I can conjure up, if you if you if you just give me a minute, is a river. Let's just imagine a relatively straight river. But, but the river gets narrower and it gets wider. It gets narrower and it gets wider. It gets narrower and it gets wider. So really, <laughs> the, the, the place where the water's going to move least undeter, you know, like with, with least friction, it's going to be right down the center. Mm-hmm. Okay? But when, you're, when, you, when you have the banks on the sides and they're, they're getting wider and they're getting shorter, you're going to get, you're going to get crashes up against the waves, you're going to get soil erosion. Um, you, you, it's just going to be more rapidy. There's just going to be more waves and friction along the edges. So if you think about what that does when we're, when we're in a period of sort of political polarization that we're in right now is, is really the, 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 the political institutions that are supposed to provide the stability for, for businesses to be able to operate in a stable way, kind of abdicate their responsibility. So what happens is, you know, you know, we're out there on the right arguing about X or we're out there on the left arguing about something, or something else. And what actually happens is the business leaders are caught in the middle because they've, <laughs> they've still got to run their businesses Business, and create yeah. employment and, yeah. and recruit talent and da-da-da-da-da. And so what happens when you have polarization is everyone just gets angry. Man, at the end of the day, that's what happens. So everyone gets angry. If everyone's angry, you know, you're, you're caught in a vice in the middle. You know, I, just, I just don't want you to be angry and just do a good job, right? And, and then concessions have to get made along the way. And you, so you end up with this kind of, I, I call it the void. You end up with this void. And I think what's happening now is, you know, uh, particularly a younger generation. It's not just a younger generation. It's big, you know, we've also equipped it with the tools. You mentioned the... Uh, you know, you mentioned the engagement tools or, you know, what I call the ranting tools. You know, we've also given everyone a megaphone. Yeah. yeah? So, you know, you, you do that. You have, you know, you have a systemic megaphone for every voice. Um, you, then, you then have this kind of void in the middle and what it forces, you know, and so now you've got employees saying, well, you should take a stand on this and you should take a stand on that and you should take a stand on this and you should take a stand on that. And as a business leader, you're kind of up shit creek without a paddle when that happens because... Because the more you try to do, I mean, whenever you engage in any conversation as a business leader on something that's political in nature or religious in nature, anything where there's a very deep, deep core belief of identity, then there's, there's, no, there's no way you're not going to piss people off 
in your own in your own company. Yeah. And so it becomes really, really tricky. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, and, and this comes back to my initial point, which is our, our, our business leaders, that, that's not what they studied for. They, they, didn't, <laughs> they didn't study for statecraft. You know, they, they studied for spreadsheet optimization, data-driven decisions and da, 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 da. And they're having to deal with these complex and chaotic landscapes where there's just no right answer. These yeah. are just, it's just about navigating through the, the misery and the poo. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's like navigating through a minefield. And that's not, I mean, most people don't want to do that. I even think about, I even think about like, you know, when you've got Tim Cook out there saying, look, man, we need, we, need, we need the governments to give us a regulatory framework for privacy, right? So it's just another way of saying we can't fix this. We need the government to step in, right? Um, and that's, you know, and you're talking about big tech who generally don't want any kind of regulation on anything, okay? Mm. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's, that's, the, that's the challenge we have. And then as a business leader, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Whatever you do is, 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 is going to be a challenge um, unless you really focus on developing your ability to engage in social and political discourse in a balanced way. And, and that actually requires high levels of personal power and, quite frankly, quite high levels of content power and things you probably didn't study for. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's reminding me of a, a book I read a number of years ago, um, just before Brexit happened and the, the US presidential uh, situation with, with Trump. And I forget its name, Vips, but it was, it was an awesome book and it was about, let's call it the haves and have nots because I can't remember the name of it, but there were the ones that have the education, that are upwardly mobile, that are... Um, can work anywhere, can live anywhere, and they tend to live and, and are mobile in their jobs. And then you have the have-nots who do, do not have that college education. They tend to live within 20 miles of where they grew up. And they have a very different perspective on what they're thinking about. And those that are more highly educated and can get jobs anywhere have a very different agenda. You know, they, they're more interested in freedom of movement across borders and globalization and everybody getting wealthy together. And those that don't have the education and are living closer to where they grew up are much more concerned about national identity and safety. And again, it comes back to the, the Maslow's hierarchy and, and that polarization. But if you think about that, because <clears throat> you'll end up with all those kinds of individuals in an organization at different levels, You've all got to coexist and leaders, leaders have to kind of navigate all that. So think about that, right? I mean, what you just said, I 100% agree with you, right? So that, that's, that's quite tricky now, right? Because now you're getting into, now you're getting into your, your, your fundamental philosophy of people, right? Do, do you fundamentally believe that people are selfish beings that look after themselves first, mm -hmm. right? Or do you fundamentally believe that people inherently... Um, social creatures who are trying to do right for everyone. I mean, these are, right? These, this is the basis of left and right almost, right? Yeah. Um, you, you get into this kind of space and, and, and again, these are not necessarily problems to be solved. They are, they are um, complexities or, or, or polarities to be navigated. And this is why, you know, this, 
where we find ourselves today with a very sort of attention deficit world that we live in. And, you know, it, it drives polarization, you know, make things easy for me. You know, it's really, really interesting how, um, you know, when you look at any major issue that is meaningful, let's pick any of them, climate change, um, the, 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 um, Social justice. Social justice would be another one. Yeah. How about even just geopolitics, right? The changing world order. Um, the, uh, gosh, um, poverty, poverty, uh, COVID, right? Just, just, just the way we deal with health. Okay. And you look at any of these things, it's really easy to have a very simple binary view, right? Like everyone should have healthcare. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you actually, when you actually, or whatever, or, everyone should get vaccinated or everyone. I mean, it's very easy to, to, to go left, like to just go very binary on these things. But when you, actually, when you actually really think about any of these, they are so, so, so complicated. They are, they're, they're, they're massively complicated and there's a thousand reasons why, why you may have a particular view. And there's another thousand reasons why you may not have another particular, I mean, it's just inherently. Well, it's, 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 it's why Trump thought he was gonna get a deal on healthcare and he quickly realized he wasn't going to get a deal on healthcare. You know, it was not something he could just figure out through, through his leadership style. You know, it, it has the depth of complexity that someone can't just figure out, no matter what their style. Yeah, I mean, we've been. I mean, if you think about it, we've been trying to figure out having more senior women in boardrooms for years, decades. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just not as easy as just going hire more women. <laughs> yeah. There's so yeah. many, you know, when you actually get into it, it's like, well, okay, it gets so, so, so complicated, right? And that same is yeah. true for, you know, the same is true for um, scaling a business. Well, take, well take, take food, for instance, if you think about all the waste in restaurants, if you could distribute them to uh, those that are food That's a great insecure, one. That's food a great insecure one. there would be enough food, certainly in America, to feed everybody. Well, 40% I was seeing, I was, I was, I was watching, uh, I was, it was a CBS News report, 40% of US produce, like produce we have in the US stores is, is thrown away. 40. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it, I mean it, and then you, you, know, you think about that and you say to yourself, you know, how can we pride ourselves on efficiency, right? When we'll throw away something just because it doesn't, you know, just because it's got a dimple in an apple. Yeah, right? sell by date. Right? I mean, yeah, there's, and there's all got, sorts of... Yeah, you've got this huge population that's food insecure and we don't have to do that. Right, just but then you, get the, into the, then you get into the complexities of that. And the, yeah, the distribution. And the, the distribution and, and, the, and the economics and, and they're massively, massively complex issues. Yeah. Um, which seem to sound like they should have a really simple solution. They don't. And, mm -hmm. and I, think, I think that's the, I think that's the, the challenge. You know, socially, social consciousness becomes mainstream. I do believe it's mainstream. I do believe it's here to stay. I mean, it's kind of our, our, our premise that, you know, you know our, our, our fundamental assertion that there are too many executives and too few leaders becomes a real problem because you've got to have leaders who can, who can engage, in that, engage in that conversation, engage in those, in those topics without turning into, you know, evil people, you know, yeah, um, yeah. Either, either whichever side of the spectrum you happen to live on. Um, so what does this mean for a fabulous leader? Vips, let's dive into what does a fabulous leader need to do? Gosh, um, without rehashing some of our non-negotiables and 4Ds and, and putting that lens in, I, I, my, my view is um, that I, I think there's probably a few things that we really should like all take seriously that we're not taking seriously, or at least 
that hasn't risen to the consciousness sufficiently yet. And the first one is you've just got to be much more well-read on social, economic, and political issues than you ever had to do as a business leader before. You just, you just have to. Like, it's, not, it's no longer, you know, it's no longer acceptable if one of your employees says, why didn't you take a stand on the Palestine versus Israel conflict two months ago and, not, and, and look like you're lost? Mm-hmm. Right? I just, I'm not saying you have to take a view on it one way or the other. I'm just saying you better well, you better well know enough to know how to deflect that or know if you want to engage on that in a, with a particular view. And so I, I think there's just, the, social consciousness is broad. It requires us to be a lot more broadly read. And I think that's a real problem with, with executives who have a very narrow field of vision relative to their content power. So if you're in tech and you only care about tech and you don't really see the rest of the world, then you're going to fall foul of this. If you're in marketing, well, you, won't be a great you leader. only care marketing. You, you might be a great engineer. Yeah. 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 And and then, but but then those people will you know it then it's then very easy to then then sort of villainize people who don't see it as simply as you because you're seeing it like an engineer. So yeah. th- to me, it's like you know don't, don't don't feed the polarization. I guess is the crux of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that's my first one. I think the second one that I'd add, and um, I'm curious which ones you have on your list. Um, I, I think the other one is we we have to. You know, the business world has been, you know, how do we have difficult conversations? And when we talk about difficult conversations, we normally mean things like, how do you tell someone they're not doing a good job? How do you fire someone? How do you let someone go in a way that doesn't result in a lawsuit, right? So that, that's the kind of landscape that people often talk about difficult conversations in the workplace, okay? So I think what you've now got is that that's just 101 now, mm-hmm. right? That's like a, that's a kindergarten skill now, which bear in mm-hmm. mind, most people in the corporate world don't have, Okay. And so, but 202 is not just difficult conversations, but it's now like difficult situations, right? So, so the, the situations themselves are difficult, not just what you want to do is potentially going to piss someone off, okay? Mm-hmm. And then the third one is almost, the phrase I'm using, it's not quite right, but it's, it's, it's almost like um, uh, difficult political discourse, Yeah. Different, difficult political discourse or statecraft would be another phrase. Diplomacy might be a third phrase. But, but being able to communicate and know how to navigate those sorts of conversations when you probably don't have complete knowledge, well, you definitely won't have complete knowledge, and you probably don't have too much control, and you may not have too much influence. But, but you're still expected to have some position, mm. yeah? And so I, I think being able to do that in a way that doesn't, that, 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 that pulls people together. So as opposed to just says, well, you could do this and you could do this and just make it binary, to, to do that in a way that unites rather than in a way that, that creates binary um, uh, bifurcation, that's just, over the next 10 years, I think it's gonna become table stakes. Yeah. I'm going to add a fourth. So we've got well-read on... Was there a third? Yeah, you did three. (laughs) Uh, Well-read on social and political issues, Um, being able to diplomatically navigate those those types of conversations and then be involved in those difficult situations and like the difficult conversations, be able to to work through them in a way where you're not 
upsetting too many people, which I guess ties a little bit to diplomacy. Yeah. But I, yeah. I think the key thing, if you if you sit what's underneath that, is your personal power better be rock solid. Yeah, because if if your personal power is, I mean, that's fundamentally our central premise. If your if your personal power is not strong, then it's then people aren't going to give you the benefit of the doubt to even listen. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think that's where that's where I, I think we need to really um, improve. Uh, I, I think we've we've made personal power like like a simple understanding of personal power sounds a lot like emotional intelligence, which is part of it, but it's also then being able to handle, you know, really complex narrative, not about people's emotion, not about a person's emotion, but about, but about the state of social things, mm -hmm. the nature of, you know, some of the world's most complex challenges that we're expected to be able to have some kind of say on and some kind of position on. It's tricky. So I'm going to add another one, which is uh, listening the ability to listen with all your senses, because to be able to navigate this, you have to be willing to put yourself in in someone else's shoes and really understand their beliefs and where they're coming from, so that you can you can help navigate this. Because if you aren't willing to understand, then you're going to trip into all sorts of muddy waters that are going to be muddy anyway, but you won't know that you're going in head first. Yeah. So I, th I think it's a, it's really interesting, and you know when I think about the shift. I think what, what, what a lot of our executives, certainly in our world, right, in the, in the tech-centric world, tech and information-centric world, pe people don't think they're doing work unless they're solving a problem. Mm -hmm. And these are not, this is not about solving problems. This is about navigating complexity because the solutions will take hundreds of years <laughs> it's like, or decades. You know, they're, 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 beyond, they're beyond simple fixes. And I, I think this, this gets us in all sorts of trouble when we try to do corporate social responsibility, when we try to, when we try to do, you know, we're going to talk about DEI next week in our podcast. It, you know, it gets us in all sorts of trouble because we think that these really simple fixes are going to fix it, but they don't. They, 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 they're good. They help. They, they take a step they, forward. They take a step forward. But, but if you think that's, if you start with the assumption that that's going to solve the problem or it's a silver bullet that's going to, you just, you'll be disappointed. A, you're going to be disappointed and B, what's worse is you'll probably give up. And yeah. if you give up, what you do is you've raised expectations in your organizations and then you've been unable to deliver. And then you, it's worse than if you'd never started anything in the first place. Yeah. 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 So and and that, that's, that's what I think is, I think, I think it's beginning to happen. Yeah. And, you know, baby steps and stamina. Steps and stamina. Yeah. Steps yeah. and stamina. So, so the key thing for all our, our leaders out there is to think about these skills and where are you on the on the trajectory of being able to navigate these unsolvable problems and how well read are you and how good is your ability to listen to others as, as you are as you're navigating this, this, these kinds of situations and a bit of soul searching. Um, do you really want to get to that level and have to engage in these types of conversations? Because if you don't, then you're seen by your people as, as complicit, you're now part of the problem because you are not able to help fill in the void that they're seeing, that they're looking to you as a leader to do. So Vips, shall we dive into the Vicky Challenge? Let's do the Vicky Challenge. All right, so for those of you that don't have a good routine around being well-read, I recommend that you choose a balanced source of daily headlines um, to give yourself a sense of what's going on in the world and just a little snapshot every day 
and then once a week dive deeper into a number of topics that, that interest you. Phipps, what are your choices? Where do you love to go for your, for your headlines? For my headlines? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, there's a few places that I always go to. Um, my, my, my staples, if you like. The Economist is one. Mm-hmm. Um, FT mm-hmm. is another one. Um, and generally, I, I like... I, I have a love-hate relationship with the HBR. <laughs> I, I like the HBR mainly because I know that's what my clients are thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it also helps sometimes to, to set... to to help focus people onto the things that other people might be talking about that are there, that are in their circles. Um, beyond that, you know, from a news intake point of view, I, I really struggle. I personally really struggle with um, the US news outlets. I, I just, I, it's just, I find them quite hard, whether it's CNN or Fox. Um, I, I probably veer a little bit more towards, uh, if I have to watch something on TV, um, it'll probably be more BBC. Um, it's been quite interesting, like with the current, with current, um, with what's currently been going on in Afghanistan, it's quite interesting. Like I've been, I've been finding, I've been watching the CNN version, the Fox version, the MSNBC version, the BBC version, and the Al Jazeera version. And somewhere in the middle of that melee is a, is a version that makes sense to me that no one seems to nail because everyone's got their own agenda. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on TV. But I generally think that for, for what we're talking about, you don't get it from TV. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it's, it's from the written... Yeah, it's, written formats. It's the Wall Street Journal. It's the Economist. You know, it's it's those types of headlines. Politico is another one. Um, yeah. But I, my my personal favorite is always the Economist because I because I think it, for me, maybe it's because I'm an economist. Um, but it but it always <laughs> it always tackles really complex emotional issues with the economics that underpin them, mm-hmm. and 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 when you figure out the eco- economics that underpin them. Um, it makes it easier to help people navigate the emotions that they're feeling. Um, and also, it also gives you, to me, it always gives me a limit of what's really achievable because the economics are supporting it versus what's just a pipe dream based on some utopian vision of the world that we're never going to see. And yeah. that's kind of why I'm a big fan of, 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 of the way The Economist tends to present itself. I am too. And for those of you that are interested, you can get the headlines without fully subscribing, although... The subscription is always fun, um, but you can at least see the headlines each day about what's going on in the world. So with that, uh, we wish you all the best in this journey. As you will have noticed, our um, topics are getting deeper and deeper as we go through what does the world of 2025 look like? And these types of conversations where you're well enough read, you're willing to engage in these conversations, and you have the personal power to be able to diplomatically navigate these conversations is gonna be absolutely critical. So with that, have a fabulous week and stay fabulous and we'll see you next time. Thank you everyone.